0: So we're going to read from Ruth 1. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. So the 8th book. right? So, just I mean, Christmas is coming, and Ruth very much is really part of the Christmas story, but 1,100 years before the time Christ was born in Bethlehem. The scene here is in Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, the family we're talking about in this book is also... Uh, in the family tree of Christ himself. We'll see that in Matthew 1, verses 1 through 5. such a great need for Christ, as we see already here in Ruth chapter 1. We'll read uh, the entire chapter, but the focus, our theme, really is verse 1, or sorry, uh, verse 21 of chapter 1. (coughs) Let's hear God's word. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, see that? Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then... Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. And then both Malon and Kilian also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab, the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. And therefore she went and went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return, each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them. They lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. Naomi said, No, you turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go. I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourself from having husbands? No, my daughters, it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You return after your sister-in-law. Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. "'and there will be be buried. "'The Lord do so to me, and more also, "'anything but death parts you and me.' "'When she saw that she was determined to go with her, "'she stopped speaking to her. "'Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. "'And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem, "'all the city was excited because of them. "'And the woman said, "'Is this Naomi?' "'But she said to them, "'Do not call me Naomi.' Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. Here's our text. I went out full. The Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me? The Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabites her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem, at the beginning of barley harvest. See those words in verse 21? I think that really is a window to the whole chapter. I went out full. The Lord has brought me home again empty. And then if you look at uh, Matthew chapter 1, you'll see that the name of one of these is in the family tree of Christ. So in the midst of all of this, the Lord is working by his sovereign hand. And if you look at verse 5 especially, there you see the name of one of them. But We begin at verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abram. Abram begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amminadab. Amminadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Solomon. Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. There she is. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David, the king. And then it just continues. But uh, the name Ruth is very significant here. And of course, Ruth didn't know that back then. But... In the midst of it, you see God working out his plan for our salvation so that Jesus too would be born in Bethlehem. So yeah, our focus this morning is uh, verse 121. I went out full, says Naomi, and the Lord has brought me home again, empty. Think about that. You know, exchanging Christ for sinful ways is no way to go. It ultimately leaves you empty, hopeless, even bitter. You know the name Mara? Mara, when Naomi says call me Mara, it literally means bitter. That's how empty she is. That's that's evidence of her emptiness. Bitter. She acknowledges it. She knows it. But you know, she doesn't stop there. She does see something of the Lord at work. And you see that in that same verse. It took her 10 years to come to that point. But notice what she says too. The Lord has brought me home again empty. That's where the Lord wants her. The Lord wants her to see her emptiness. The Lord wants her to see her need. Because only the Lord can fill her life again with meaning, with purpose, with salvation. <laughs> you know, His mercy, once again, is by His mercy that the Lord brings her home. Home. Home where God is. That's home. Home where God is, where the Lord Jesus Christ is, back to himself. Why? Because it's all, why does God work this way in her life, even though she just gave it all up? Because of God's promise in Christ, our Savior from sin, the one who is the gift of our righteousness through faith in him. He's the one who's going to be born in Bethlehem. 1,100 years later, And that's what we focus on this morning, is on this chapter as we prepare ourselves for the gift of Christmas, the greatest gift, the birth of Jesus. And so what we'd like to do is, in light of verse 21, we see that the Lord brings hope to lives that are empty, to lives, to homes that are empty. And if you look at verses 1 through 5, you could basically summarize it with this point: Elimelech leaves Bethlehem, and verses six through fifteen, Naomi returns empty. And in sixteen through twenty-two, that's where you really see the gospel. You see the glimmers of the hope of the gospel, of the promises of God. But you notice, first of all, verses one through five, these were really, really difficult days. For the church. Who was the church? It was the people of Israel. They were the church. And if you look at the last verse in the prior book. Judges? The very last line. The very last verse. You read these words. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about the church. Right? He's talking about the people of Judah. The people of Israel. They were all doing what they wanted to do themselves. There was very little fear of God in the land. Very little fear of his commandments. There was very little heart for him. And they wanted to do their own thing. And now Ruth 1 says, it was in those days. So it's in those days of Judges, the last verse there. It was in those days that the Judges ruled... And when the judges ruled, it says there was a famine in the land. What's a famine? A famine means there's no more rain. And when there's no more rain, there's no more crops. When there's no more crops, there's no more food. And especially in the Old Testament, when there's a famine, it was usually an expression of God's hand of judgment on his people. It was his, you could say, His call to them to come back to him. To come back to him. The Lord was disciplining his people through this famine. You know, when times are bad, when times are difficult, the one thing not to do is to walk away from the Lord. Because it will only lead to further emptiness and further misery. That's what Elimelech did. Elimelech. Can you imagine? His name means, my God is king. That's the meaning of his name. He goes against his name. He leaves. He leaves the Lord. You know, when he left Bethlehem, you know what Bethlehem means? Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Who's going to be born in Bethlehem? The bread of life. He leaves the house of bread. Ironically, at this point, this house had no bread. It was empty. There was a famine in that land. You know, sometimes people want to walk away from Christ. They do so... Because other things take priority in their lives. It can be family. It can be other loves. It can be other priorities. Where God is just not so important to come to the house of bread. But all the other distractions have first place. And that reveals something about the heart of the child of God. When other distractions, when other loves have greater importance than coming to Christ, coming to the house of bread. There's a problem with the heart. It's a heart problem. And that was Elimelech's problem too. His heart was not right with the Lord. That was the big problem. And so Elimelech with his wife Naomi, their two sons, Melon and Chilion leave their home in Bethlehem and go to Moab. They're distracted. They're distracted from the Lord and from the worship of the Lord. They have other loves. They have other plans. And they go to a foreign country on the other side of the Dead Sea. If you look on the map, it's way on the other side. That's a long journey. What he did was he broke ties with the Lord. What he did is he broke ties with the fellowship of God's people, Israel. What he did also is he broke ties with the land. Think of the land as a a promise of the fellowship that God's people enjoy in Christ today in the New Testament. The land was significant. Why? Because as you know that God had already promised Abraham not only children, but a land. That promised land, which was a really a, a foretaste or a picture pointing to the eternal rest, the heaven to come. Under Joshua, they conquered the land, and what did Joshua do? He divided the land among the 12 tribes of Israel. And every family, outside of Levi, because Levi's, the Levites were the priests, but every family had a piece of land. Every family, from every tribe, had a piece of land. That was their inheritance. And as believers, they hoped that their families could continue to have their piece of land till the time that Christ came. That was their witness. That was their witness prior to the coming of Christ that they had a share in Christ. A share in his inheritance. Of course, we don't need that today because that's been fulfilled in Christ. We have that share in inheritance among the fellowship of God's people, Elimelech's faith became weak. He chose to give it up. He chose to give up his inheritance to Christ for what he thought was a better life in Moab, at least for the time being. He deceived himself. That's what happened. Perhaps he thought, there's always tomorrow to come back to the Lord. I don't have time today. I'll wait till times are better. But you know what? Everyone here faces a tomorrow that they will never get. Everyone. Everyone here. Always said, we may say tomorrow, tomorrow. But for every person, there's a tomorrow that never comes. And that's what happened to Elimelech. He died. As a father, he was leading his family away from the Lord. As the head of the family, he did not make a wise and faithful decision. It was very foolish. You know, you can imagine the people of Israel saying, Elimelech, don't leave. Don't leave. Don't leave the body. Don't leave the people of God. They left. I think about it in our situation too. I think it's so important that as fellow members... When we see people, members here, right, that don't come as regularly as they should, we should be concerned about their eternal spiritual welfare. Because this is the bread. Christ is the bread of life. And we should be, as members, don't don't leave it just to the pastor and elders, but as members, encourage one another. And that's why I'm really hoping that's when we have a new directory, we have each other's phone numbers and it's a way of just encouraging one another not to have other priorities take over. Not to have other loves. Whether it's family or music or money. Whatever it is. We, all, we heard a few weeks ago about the cost of discipleship. Right? Christ is always first. He calls us to put him first. Elimelech didn't do that. The story gets worse. He did not know his life would be taken from him. He died. Verse 3, tomorrow never came. The tomorrow to come back to the land, to come back to the Lord, never came for him. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, we read in verse 3, died. She was left and her two sons. Elimelech, why? Why did you do this? you? You can imagine what the fellow Israelites were thinking. What happened with Elimelech? He walked away from the Lord. He died. He never returned. And the story gets more sad. Read verse 4, that his sons Malon and Killian, they marry women. But they were women from Moab. They were not women within the covenant. They were women who worshipped other gods. They were not from the church. They were not from the house of bread. They were not from Israel. These women, Orpah and Ruth, came from families who worshipped foreign gods. And if you read in Deuteronomy, 3, sorry, Deuteronomy 7, 3 and 4, that was forbidden. So this family knew that. This family knew the commands of the Lord, but they did not fear the Lord. The greater tragedy is that Naomi's son's Also, had no children born to them. Ten years later, both Malon and Killian also died, as we read in verse 5. And you have three widows left three weeping widows Naomi, Ruth, Orpah. Tragedy. Empty. No income. No support. They left the house of bread. They were on their own. You know, children were so important. To have children was so important in that day, especially in that day. Because everyone in Israel wanted a son. Because by having a son or a daughter, both, both sons and daughters, by having children, they knew that through one of them, the Messiah Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. So this was everyone's hope. Maybe it be my family. Maybe it be my family. So there was this anticipation that the Messiah would come through one of the families, but nobody knew, except we know that it would come through the tribe of Judah, and Elimelech was from the tribe of Judah. But uh, Elimelech left. Elimelech left. We know, what we know from Matthew 1 is that the promise of salvation from sin The hope of Israel, the hope of the world, the Christ comes through this family. A little like they didn't know that, but it would come through this very family. And yet, it looks like God's plan of salvation is now wiped out through their sinful choices, through their sinful actions. I mean, the Lord didn't leave them; they left the Lord. They could say, "Lord, why did you leave us?" But the Lord can say, no, you left me. No children, no inheritance. Normally would, have to be, would, have, would be forced to sell the piece of land that she had in order to raise support for herself. And you think about it. If our salvation is left up to us, what a mess we make of things. The is proof. What a mess we make of our lives. We make such messes out of our lives. Thank God that He's greater, that His grace is greater. And that's where the story goes. It's so much greater. Naomi returns. She returns to Bethlehem. Yes, she returns empty, but she returns. An empty house, an empty life. Indeed, her life really pictures the life of Israel the people of God of that day. And it often pictures us, how we need a Savior, the one to be born in Bethlehem. And that brings us to verses 6 through 15. If you look at that very carefully, how often does the word return appear in there? I mean, from 6 through 22, it's mentioned 12 times, the word return, 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 return. Very significant. When you think of return, think of repentance, conversion, coming back to the Lord. (laughs) Um, That's the sense here. We read in verse 6 that Naomi hears in Moab, she's in Moab, that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. The Lord shows his favor again. The word there is literally bread, bread. She hears about it. There's bread once again. She leaves with her daughters-in-law from the land of Moab to return to the promised land to the house of bread. Again, you know, the word return used again and again and again. Very important. You see it repeated in verse 7. Therefore she went out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah, returning to the Lord. Think of it in terms of her returning to the Lord. As a matter of fact, she returns to the Lord why? Because the Lord puts it in her heart. The Lord works in this sinful family and the Lord works in such a way that he causes her to want to come back to the house of bread, to return to the Lord. The Lord is so graciously, it's not because she deserves it, he graciously works in Naomi's heart. Why? Why? Not because of who she is, but only because of the promise of Christ. Because of Christ. Christ. That's why he's working. Returning empty. You know, returning empty to the Lord, you feel nothing in here. You know what? It's no obstacle to the Lord to work in our lives. To work that faith. To work that life. To work that cause to return to him. And you see it here. This emptiness of Naomi is not going to stop the Lord from fulfilling his plan in Christ to be born in the town of Bethlehem for his sinful people. It's God, it really is, isn't it? It's really God's grace when a, a, a child that's straying from the Lord comes back to him. This is really the, the miracle of God's grace. The daughter-in-laws go with her. But notice notice what Naomi does on the way to Bethlehem she stops dead in her tracks and she looks to her daughters-in-law Orpah and Ruth and what does she say to them she tells them to return but the other way to go back to her gods to go back to their homes look at verse 8 and 9 go return each to his mother's house the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead in me, the Lord grant that you may find rest each one of the house of her husband. She urges them. Can you imagine? She urges them to go back, not to the Lord. Here she's telling her own dollars, don't go back to the Lord. Don't go to the Lord. I mean, they must have tasted something of the Lord. They must have tasted something of his word in their house, perhaps. But Naomi says, no, you go back. You go back to your land. You go back to your God's. I hope this never happens with us. That when we, have, when we meet others who don't know Christ, to say, well, you worship your God, but worship them well. I hope that never happens. Because there's only one way. There's only one way to be filled, and that's through the Christ who will be born in Bethlehem. But why does, why does Naomi do it? She's perhaps, perhaps looking at it from a human perspective, not from a kingdom perspective. She sees that there's no prospects of husbands for them in Israel. If you look back to um, Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, there it says a Moabite, that's where she was from, she'll never enter into the worshiping assembly of Israel. So perhaps Naomi has that in mind too. A Moabite was never allowed to worship with Israel. That has something to do with the sins of the past. And also the fact that at this point God was not ready to open the The doors to salvation to Moab. So they're foreigners. They belong to Moab. And so she talks to them about them going back to their house, to the house of their new husbands, if they should get them. But those houses are nothing. They could have a lot of wealth. They could be beautiful houses, but they're empty. Empty. There's no house of bread there. There's no bread. There's no bread of life. There's no promise. They're only filled with dead idols. Idols that can't speak. Idols that can't see. There's no bread there. There's no fullness. Naomi, why are you sending back to the life of emptiness? She kisses them. Goodbye. I mean, we can be sure she loved them. She did. But she didn't see the broader perspective. Goodbye, Orpah. Goodbye, Ruth. They just cried and cried and cried. We will return with you, they said, to your people. You know, once is not enough for Naomi says. She says it a second time. A second time, she insists turn back, my daughters. Go back to your old religion. Why will you go with me? And now she gives her arguments, now she gives her reasons. In verses 11, 12, and 13, she gives three reasons, three arguments for why they should go back. She's only thinking of the material. She's not thinking spiritually. She's not thinking kingdom. She's only thinking of the here and now. She says, listen, I can't have any more sons. I don't have any sons in my womb who will become husbands for you. I mean, it was the custom of Israel or in Israel that if a man died childless... His brothers had to marry the widow in order to bear children for the name of their dead brother. You read about that in Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6. So if a brother, if a husband died, the brother of the husband had to marry that widow in order to carry on the name of that family. But Ruth's sons, sorry, Naomi's sons died. Kilon, Kilion, and Malon have no more brothers. There's no brothers to marry her, to marry them. So that's the first reason. Second, again she argues, Turn back. My daughters, turn back. Go. I'm too old to have a husband. I'm too old to have a husband. And then the third thing she says is that even if she has a husband, and if she, even if she got married this very night, how long would they have to wait before they could marry those boys that would be first in their womb. How old would those girls be by the time they would get married to them? No, go back. Go back to your gods. I, she saw no future. She saw no hope. You see the evidence of her emptiness. Her heart was empty. Empty. She has no hope in herself. You ever feel like that? That's the perfect time to come to Christ. Perfect time to come back. Naomi pushes Ruth and Oprah away because she thinks it's for their good. Notice what she says. She says, it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She's sad. She's sad for them. Why? Because the reason why their trouble that they're in is because the Lord has judged her The Lord has punished her and her husband. And she feels very bad for them. It affects them. And even then, she's not seeing the way she should see it. In terms of the kingdom. Both Orpah and Ruth lift up their voices and cried and cried and cried. One is persuaded to go back to their gods. Which one is it? Orpah. Orpah. She's finally persuaded by her mother-in-law I'm gonna go. So she gives her final kiss. she seals her, you could say her destiny with a final kiss to Naomi and she goes back to the land of her gods. There's no hope in that kind of return. by the grace of God, however, what does Ruth do? She refuses to listen to mother-in-law because she wants to listen to the Lord. She clings onto Naomi. I mean the word there is clung. she It's like a little child holding on to the legs of a mom or dad, right? Just clings on and says, if you start walking, I'm going to walk with you. She clings on to her mother-in-law. Naomi does not give up. She says to Ruth in verse 15, Naomi says to Ruth in verse 15, look, your sister's gone back. Why don't you go back too? Return. Return with her. Naomi just doesn't see it. She's insisting them to go the wrong way. Wow. But Ruth, she sees, can you imagine this? She sees more than Naomi. Naomi grew up in the covenant. Ruth didn't. Ruth sees more. She sees the greater glory. She sees the greater kingdom. Whatever happens to her life, she doesn't, she has no idea. But she knows that her life is best in the hands of this God, the true and living God. And so she goes by faith. She clung on to Naomi. And by God's grace, she, a foreigner, saw by faith. And that brings us to our final point the glimmers of hope, 16 through 22. She saw the Lord. She saw the Lord by faith. And so does Naomi, but she doesn't see as much. You see or you hear Naomi's confession. The Lord has brought me home again empty. Yes, she is humbled. She is brought to repentance. You see the signs of her repentance here. The Lord has brought her home empty. But yes, she brought her home empty in order to fill her again. Does she see that? Does she see that the Lord can fill her life again? The Lord can bring satisfaction to her, to her life. There are two other glimmers of hope. The one is the Lord's work by his Spirit in Ruth's life. Naomi should see that. Naomi should see that. We see that in verses 16, 17, and 18. Ruth says, Mother in law, you don't tell me to leave you, you don't tell me to turn back. For your people shall be my people. And your God will be my God. In spite of Naomi's insistence for Ruth to turn back. What do you see here? God in his sovereign grace is drawing Ruth to himself. In spite of her mother-in-law's stubbornness. You see the power of God's grace drawing her to the Lord's people, to the fellowship of God's people, through all kinds of obstacles. If anyone shouldn't join this fellowship, it should be Ruth. She's got all kinds of things against her. But she sees by faith. She is one of God's elect, and nothing, no, no one can stop God's irresistible draw to draw this girl, this foreigner, to himself and to his people. You know, it's remarkable congregation that Ruth eagerly chose for the God whose hand was against Naomi. Even then, she saw that this God truly cares. she, She shows that it's better to find refuge with the true and living God who disciplines rather than with dumb, dead God's can't even speak. You know, Orpah chose the wrong way. Wow. Ruth does not know that God is going to use her to fulfill his promise to bring about the birth of Christ for Israel's sake and for our sake. Can you imagine? For us, who are by nature empty. God's work in her was also a sign of God's kind care for Naomi. Who wins, so to speak? God wins. He's the winner. And that's why Ruth overcomes Naomi. This is why one who was an idol worship worshiper overcomes one who should have known better. The Lord do so to me, said Ruth, and more also if anything but death parts you and me. She swears by the Lord's name. May God judge me if I don't go with you. I'm going to stick to you. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. She swears by the name of God. This is her profession of faith. That's what profession of faith is, right? Baptism, profession of faith. The Lord will be priority. Not, first of all, family. Not, first of all, money. Not, first of all, this distraction, that distraction. The Lord. Oh, let's encourage one another. Yes, people's eternal welfare. Spiritual welfare. Ruth sees it. And Naomi just shuts her mouth. Doesn't say a word more. Is she angry at Ruth? I don't know. She doesn't say another word. She can't go against Ruth. But I think ultimately she sees that she can't go against the Lord. The Lord is doing His work. He's fulfilling his promises. You hear Ruth's confession. And you almost hear a different kind of confession from Naomi, don't you? They return to Bethlehem. The women come around her, excited. Is this Naomi? She says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. My life isn't pleasant. Call me Mara. Bitter. Bitter. I'm bitter. Bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She confesses, I went out full. The Lord has caused me to return home again empty. Her family is no more. They've died out. Her husband's name would be wiped out. And now she would have to sell the field that she still owns in Bethlehem because she was poor. Look where their sin brought them. Look where the wrong choices led them empty. But you know what? That's not the end. Because the Lord uses that to bring them further. To bring them back to himself. We come to the Lord empty. Empty. Because only he can fill us. And it's beautiful to see at least this in Naomi's confession. She acknowledges her emptiness. really, really important that we do the same thing. Our emptiness before the Lord. The Lord has caused her to return. She sees that too. She submits to the Lord in faith. How do we know that? By returning. She doesn't see everything, doesn't see a lot, but she does submit to the Lord by faith, by returning, by returning to the house of bread. Can the Lord fill her life again? Is there any future for her? Any future? The Lord, because of his covenant promises in Christ and his grace and mercy, yes, he can fill her life again. He brings her home again, bringing her back to himself, the right spot, the right time. And now she can expect the Lord to fill her life with forgiveness and life and peace. You know, brothers and sisters, living a life of sin is an empty life. It's empty. When anything takes priority over Christ, it ends up bad. It ends up bad. All it brings is sadness, anger, bitterness, and loneliness. There is no bread in it. There is no life in it maybe you are empty or maybe you feel empty in here maybe you feel there's no love of christ in you all you feel is bitterness selfishness anger because it's the heart that really matters where is your heart where's your heart but you know what? Family can't fill it. Can't fill the void. The distractions of the world can't fill the void. Music can't fill the void. There's only one who comes to fill that void. And that's Christ. 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 He's the only one who can give that hope. Who can fill the heart with with gladness and mirth once again, with joy, with salvation. And that's why the call is to come to Christ. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. There you see in Him everything, everything that you need. Come to Him in faith. Come to Him in repentance. There is no other way to find the joy and pleasantness that Naomi once had by the grace of God Naomi is going to see that she's going to have her life filled too but we're not up to that point yet you know Christ the one who would be born in Bethlehem he's the one who would die on the cross to take all our emptinesses upon himself and to fill us again through his resurrection from the dead that is all to all who trust in him for their salvation. What does John say? The one who was born in Bethlehem? We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what we need. We need the grace of God. We need the truth of God. We need Christ. We need him. You know, that's the one glimmer of hope is Ruth. The other one is verse 22. Finally, the glimmer of hope. There's bread again in Bethlehem. How do we know? Because there's a barley harvest. It's the beginning of barley harvest. The famine is over. And out of Bethlehem, the house of bread, where the famine reigned, who will come? The bread of life will be born that feeds and that heals a broken world. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord brings Naomi home empty again. For what purpose? To fill her. May we do the same. May we come empty. Ready to be filled. With Christ. Yes. God will save her husband's name. God will save her inheritance. Their inheritance. Not only theirs. But also Israel's inheritance. And our inheritance. In Christ we receive a new name. In Christ we receive a new inheritance. And that's what God is busy doing as he prepares the way for the coming of Christ to be born in Bethlehem. Amen.